0: tonight we're learning Parsha Nassau Rav Shlomo once told me one of his highest moments was when he was at Lakewood and he was learning from Aaron Cutler and the night before there was a wedding that everyone in the yeshiva was at and it it was over like I don't know the saying two in the morning or something, whatever. And Rav Shlomo was back in the Beit Midrash, like five in the morning, learning. And Rav Aaron came in, looked around, there was not a soul there except Rav Shlomo. Rav Shlomo said, he, he said, he gave him like the warmest look. He said, that was one of his like hot moments with Abu Aaron. He's like, Wow, so someone could be here at five in the morning after finishing a wedding at two. Like that's commitment. I mean, that's that's what his eyes said to him. That's commitment. So everyone is here after learning in was So everyone everyone deserves a special ishikar. Okay, parsha nasal. We're going to learn something from the end of the parsha. Quite quite a bit in this parsha, actually. This is the longest parsha of the Torah, 176 verses, it's the longest parsha in the Torah. And a lot of it is the end, which is about the the gifts that the princes brought at the dedication of the Mishkan. This is a case of ein mukdam v'mukhar Torah. There's no, let's say, before or after in the Torah. This is chronologically totally out of order, but uh, it says very clearly that these were brought on the day that the Mishkan was, was dedicated. So if you read through these, you'll see that all 12 princes of the 12 tribes are mentioned and what their, their gifts were. And it doesn't take too much of a reading to see that the gifts were absolutely identical. Every single one brought the exact same gifts, which raises the obvious question, why does the Torah have to repeat it 12 times? It could just simply have said all of the tribes brought the following gifts. Instead, it adds, it adds uh, scores of verses to go over the same thing over and over again. So there are many, many different explanations of why the Torah does this. We, we learned something very, very similar just last week in Parsha Midbar as to why so much repetition in the counting. And there we learned that the medium is the message, that if the message is that everyone counts, so the way to give that over is to take a long time to to, to show as if everyone is being counted. So the same thing here. How will we give the feeling that each one of these princes and each one of these tribes was doing something special by mentioning their, their gift, even though it's the same as the, the tribe before and the tribe afterwards. But the fact that it goes through shows that each one has significance. But there's something deeper here, something much deeper, and this is something that affects all of us and speaks to all of us. And that is that in our daily lives, whether it's what we'll call our religious life or our secular work, professional life, everyone has a dilemma, has a, a, a challenge. How to, how to go about doing a lot of the same things every single day without getting bored cynical, drive you crazy, and uninspired. How do we in three times a day? Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, hopefully decade after decade, and it's the same words. The same words, okay? Shabbos comes, but it's the same words every Shabbos. So this is a challenge. This is a real challenge. So, in a sense, a lot of people are kind of like tune out in shul during Kriya Torah when you get here, because it's like, but here it only takes ten minutes. What about the hour of davening shahri every morning? It's basically the same words. That's quite a bigger challenge than reading Parshat Naso in shul once a year. But the the point is that it's bringing up a a, a true dilemma in our lives. And so one of the answers is, the the Midrash says even though they all brought the same gifts, each prince had a completely different set of kavanas, different set of meaning and symbolism to the gifts that they were bringing. So the Midrash actually goes through all twelve princes and their different kavanas. What we're going to do tonight is Rashi brings one whole set of these kavanas, One whole set. And they are among the most amazing Rashi's in the whole Torah. So what we're going to do tonight is we're going to go through the set of rashis, which is amazing enough, and then we're going to try to understand what the kavana is here. What, what did they have in mind according to, to what rashi is bringing that relates to the establishment of the tabernacle? Remember, all of this is happening... On Rosh Chodesh Nissan, on the day that the Tabernacle is put up and the service in the temple, in, in, in the Tabernacle begins in earnest. And we also have to remember, we'll tie it in. This is the same day that Nadav and Avihu die. We have to. We'll keep that idea in mind, and we'll we'll get to it. So first of all, Rashi mentions that this day in the Midrash is called the Day of the Ten Crowns. And it, it says that this day was the happiest day of, for God since the world was created. And the Mishkan was put up. We've learned this many times. Because of the reason given that God wanted to make for himself a dwelling place in the lower worlds. This was the purpose of creation, to make for himself a dwelling place in the lower worlds. And God's presence in the tabernacle was symbolic of his now having a place in the lower worlds. And therefore, the purpose of creation is fulfilled. We also know that the day that the Mishkan was put up is the same day that God created the world. Rosh Chodesh Nisan. We won't go back over the whole disagreement in the Gomorrah. Right, whether, whether the world was created in Tishrei, at Rosh Hashanah time, or at Nisan, but we learned, according to the Tosfat, we can understand the conclusion of the Gemara is that the world is created in, in thought or potential at Rosh Hashanah time, and actuality in Nisan. Rosh Chodesh Nisan. So therefore, when it's called the Day of the Ten Crowns, this is connected to creation coming into being through ten... Expressions, ten mamarot. Of course, it's connected to the ten svirot. Just a few days ago on Shavos we learned that's connected to the Ten Commandments. And now, this day is called the Day of the Ten Crowns. Why? The the Midrash mentions ten parts of the service that was inaugurated for the first time. Actually, it says, "Rishon the Bereshit." It was the first crown was that it was the first day of creation. Rishon Nasiim the first day that the princes bring all of the gifts, and then it's the first sacrifices on the altar. I don't remember the whole list, but ten different parts of the service that were inaugurated for the first time. And. On this day, the princes bring their gifts. So Rashi says like this. After giving some different uh, shatim, uh, simple, literal understandings, he goes back and he explains each one of the gifts. And he says like this. First, he says that he found this from Rabbi Moshe Hadarsha who said in the name of Rabbi Pinchas Ben Yair that it was Netanel Ben Sohar that came up with this idea. Who is the last name? Nita'el ben Sohar. Nittael. Nittael ben Sohar. Okay, so the first gift was a silver bowl. Okay? This is listed in the Chumash itself? Yeah, yeah. The the, the actual gifts are in the Chumash, and they're repeated 12 times. But the explanation, of course, this is Rashi's. So look, listen what he says here. He says, actually I'm going to do it differently. I'll, I'll, we'll go through what the gifts are. And you'll see they sound fairly mundane. Um, not like exciting gifts. There's a silver bowl whose weight is 130 uh, shekels one silver basin of 70 shekels and both of them were filled with flour mixed with oil for a mincha offering one golden ladle of 10 shekels filled with incense one young bull one ram, one sheep one goat for a sin offering and for a peace offering, two cattle, five rams, five goats, five sheep. That's, that's the gift of all of the tribes. Each one brought all of those. So it's like, I mean, it doesn't sound all that spiritual, Right, a, a, a bunch of animals for animal sacrifices and a bunch of you know, kitchen utensils right, to, to make the mintha offerings. Okay, so, so now we'll appreciate how Rashi explains it. And again, he, he, this is not Rashi. Rashi is bringing a much older tradition. So what does he say about the silver bowl? He says that its, its gematria is nine hundred and thirty. This expression, a rat kesef, a silver bowl, equals
1: nine
0: hundred and thirty. What's the first word? K-arat, kuf ayin reishtaf, Weighs nine hundred and thirty. So Rashi says this corresponds to the years of Adam's life. Adam Arishon lived to be 930. The next, oh, and this silver bowl weighed 130 uh, measurements of, shekel, of, of shekels. What does this correspond to? This corresponds that at age one hundred and thirty it says that he knew Adam knew his excuse, that Adam gave birth to Shet. After separating from Chava for 130 years, he gives birth to Shet. Then the next is a silver basin of 70 shekel. So this expression, Mizrak Echad Kesef, one silver basin. Its gematria is 500. What does this correspond to? That... Noach was 500 years when he had children. Excuse me, I'm going back. 520. This expression is 520. The 500 relates to um, that Noach was 500 when he had children. And the 20 years... Was for, for 20 years before he had children when he was told about the flood. 20 years before he was
1: 500?
0: Yes, and the 500 stands for how old he was when he had children, but 20 years before he was told that the flood was coming. That's what Rashi says.
2: Wait, he... Sorry, I just... Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. After he had children, it was 20 years until the flood, or he was told 20 years before he had had children? No, he was told 20 years before that. So when he was 480, basically. Yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. And how much does this Silver Basin weigh? 70. What is this for? David of not yet. We're still back in Noah. Oh. These are the seventy nations that come out of the children of Noah. Now, if anyone hasn't noticed, we're starting from Adam, going to Noah, then the seventy nations. Okay. The nations? The seventy nations came out of the three children
3: the of, of Noah.
1: The weight of the boat.
3: Silver basin. Yeah, but the, yeah. The of the she, no, right. 70 shekels weight of the silver base.
0: Right. Then there was a one spoon ladle. So this is corresponds to the Torah that was given by the hand of God. Kaf. See, kaf also means the palm of the hand. That's why a spoon is called a cup because it looks like a palm of a hand. That's why it's called that. So this is God giving us the Torah with His hand. How much is this ladle weigh? Ten. That's an obvious one. These are the Ten Commandments. What was in this this uh, ladle, it says it was full of katorat. Now listen to this. Now you have to remember, we always say Rashi is giving over the simple meaning, right? Does this sound simple to anyone? But listen to this one. This is a classic. Ready for this? It says it's full of katorat, of incense. So he says the gematria of katorat equals 613 for the mitzvot. Wait, wait, wait. That that would be, that would be like understandable. He said, on condition that the kuf of the word ketoret is exchanged for a dalet and the through the Kabbalistic alphabet called Atbash, where you take the first letter of the alphabet and you exchange it for the last. The second for the second last. The third for the third last. So At, Aleph, Tav Bet, Shin. So it equals 613 as long as you take the Kuf of Ketaret and you Switch it according to this Kabbalistic alphabet and it becomes a Dalit equals 613.
2: Sounds like the mosque like, is counting. <laughs> <laughs> moving like, things around. Like, the top is
0: 400. The no, no, no. The fish is 200. No, you,
2: yeah, okay. Yeah. That's 600.
0: No. But the tet and vav are 15. That's already 615. And you have a
1: Dalit
0: now let's go back. The kuf is a hundred. The tet is nine. The resh is two hundred, and the top is four hundred. So without the kuf, you have six hundred and nine. Seven. Six hundred and nine. Not seven. Six hundred and nine. We're not counting the kuf. Oh, we're not counting. Yeah. Those. I said, without the kuf, we have gotcha. 609. If you switch the kuf gotcha. to a dalad, 609 and 4 equals 613. Six this is Rashi explaining the pshat here.
3: <laughs> right? I'd love to know what the soda is. <laughs> <laughs>
2: ah, That's what we're going to get
0: to. That's what we're going to get to. Okay. Does, does he explain
2: anything by that? No, uh, he's just... That's obvious. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> then there is one bull. This corresponds to Abraham, who brought a bull when the angels came. That's what he that's what he fed them. Ayalachad, one ram. This is the ram that was used to replace Yitzhak at a Yitzchak Yitzhak. As far as the
2: order thing goes, I'm a little confused because I thought we went from North to receiving the Torah. Okay,
0: it, it, it's not totally, it's not totally. Okay. My point was is that we're going back to the very beginning of creation
1: okay.
0: and we're going through. So it's true, up to the Ten Commandments it was okay. in chronological and now it's, the animals are going back. Just like this whole parsha is out of order, that's what we learned before you came. The, this part, this whole section of bringing of, of the gifts is totally out of order chronologically. One sheep. So this is Yaakov, and this has to do with the whole story with Laban's sheep.
3: I mean, just from what you've said till now, it seems like the princes are summarizing all of Jewish history with their Ah, gifts. Okay, they're they're encapsulating it and saying we're going to relive Jewish history through the avodah of the Beit Hamikdash.
0: Okay, let's hold that just for no. no, But you're 100. But let's hold it just for a minute till we finish, and then what you're saying is 100. percent So just okay. Yeah, yeah. So we have the goat. Any guesses here? Kippur. Well, we just had Avram Yitzhak, and Yaakov. Yosef. Yosef. What, what what's the goat have to do with Yosef? Uh,
1: the brother sent. Right. The brother brought the
0: goat, dipped in in uh, dipped his cloak in, in the the blood of the goat. And this in this particular, it says in in the Torah that this goat was brought for a sin offering. That's an obvious one. This is, is like a kapara, an atonement for that sin. And then it says, for peace offerings to cattle, this is and Aron. Because they brought peace between Israel and their father in heaven. It was called a peace offering. And then there are five rams Five goats and five sheep. Five So Rashi says the fact that there are three different types of animals here, this is corresponding to Israel being divided between Kohanim, Levi'im, and Yisrael. Sorry, what was the exact... I was writing the last thing.
3: Rams, goats, and, Rams, sheep.
0: Goats and sheep. Rams, goats, and sheep. Now, obviously, everyone can look in the Chumash, and you'll, you'll, this is all explicit. And Rashi isn't, but the gifts are, are explicit. And, in, not just Kohanim, Levim, and Yisrael, but it corresponds to Torah, Levim, and Ketuvim. Obviously, this was said with Ruach HaKodesh, that in the future, the Torah would have three parts. And the fact that all of these offerings were five, five rams, five goats, and five sheep, this is to tell us that on each one of the Luchot were five commandments. So you have five commandments and five commandments, and and the five books of Moses. And with that, Rashi ends his explanation. So now, Moshe, say what you want to say.
3: It just seems that the princes are trying to capture the essence of Judaism. And all these events were creating archetypes in time for the future that are going to be relived. Ah,
0: okay. So that's...
3: That's that's what I was sensing. Yeah, yeah.
0: So that's an excellent thing. When you read through this, you have, in a sense, up to that time, you have many of the key moments in in history and the key people in history. And so therefore remember what day is this? The day that the world was created on. This is the day that the Mishkan is being established. This is the day that they believed that the purpose of creation was being fulfilled. And so therefore they are in a sense, having the Kavana to take all of history and incorporate it into the, into the Mishkah, into the service. Right? That's what you're saying. According, according to Rashi, he gives this over in relationship to the second day, which was Yisachar. And it says, because it was Yisachar's idea to bring, the way I understand it, these particular gifts. And the fact that Rashi picks this set of Kavanot, we understand from, from it that there's, there's something special about the, this set of kavanas, Because it was from the tribe that thought of it, And so therefore, it's a little bit like the Bikurim. Since this was like the first thoughts of the first tribe to bring it, it has a special significance to it. And the fact that Rashi brought it also means not that the other ones aren't important, but there's something outstanding about this set of kavanas. Let's imagine the energy of the day. This is the key. This is the day that the world is created. This is the day that the Shekhinah is going to begin to rest and be revealed in the Mishkan on an ongoing basis. This is when the glory of God is going to be revealed. This is the ultimate sign that we're Forgiven for the sin of the golden calf. This is like the ultimate sign of of the forgiveness. Because even though when Moshe came down with the second tablets in Yom Kippur, so that was a sign of atonement. Because the first tablets were broken because of the golden calf. And so after Moshe davening and praying for 80 days, really, two sets of 40, God come uh, Moshe comes down with the second tablets on Yom Kippur, and like, wow. God, God's forgiven us. But the next day, Moshe begins telling them to build a Mishkan. Like that's like the that's 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 the first set of instructions, really. It, it, yeah, but it was no, it was only after Moshe came down after the Ched of Ego, Moshe really came down for one day and then he went back up for 40 days came down for one day made, uh, carved out the Luchot and went back up for 40 days it's only when he came down after Yom Kippur that he begins to tell them about the Mishkan in the Torah itself, though, so this is this is a great mystery that the laws of given of, of building the Mishkan are given before the Chet That's a whole. That's a whole other discussion. Why that is major disagreement. Whether we would have had to build a, a tabernacle had we not worshipped the golden calf. Hmm. Some people say yes, and some people say no. Hmm. Have we not? Hmm. Worship the golden calf, we would not have been commanded to build a mishkan. We wouldn't have needed a mishkan. Others said, even if we wouldn't have made the, the golden calf, we would have been commanded. So what do we say? Elu They both have some point of truth in them. This disagreement's never been solved. It, it's... It's waiting in abeyance against Elia and Navi comes. Okay, so back to the idea that we're setting the stage for what these kavanas are. So in other words, this day, it's 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 like the receiving of the Torah. I mean, it it has the same amount of anticipation and uh, excitement. And mystery, and wonder. So here we have the set of kavanas. So what everyone said is is correct. It's a re, it's it's like all of history being brought into the moment. But we just have to go one more step as to what they were trying to accomplish here. So in other words, if The establishment of the Mishkan is an atonement for the golden calf. And it's the purpose of creation. And God is going to have a dwelling place here. So the, the, the feeling in the air was we can fix everything now. This is a like this is a new beginning, a new chapter, a totally new occurrence. In other words, there are those junctures in history where well, we know this from an individual. An individual knows that there are certain times in their life you plot along for years, just everything's going the same way. And all of a sudden, different circumstances come into your life, and it's everything changes. I see you're looking at each other, but that's exactly right. When you get married, right? It's just, this is these, this is one of those paradigms where just like everything changes, you make aliyah. Everything changes. there's a handful of events in our life that are like that where the event absolutely changes our life It's just not the same. It's just a different reality. But it's, it's that way in history also. There are certain junctures in history where there are opportunities, in a sense, to begin again. Noah, when he came out of the ark, it was like a once-in-a-history opportunity to like start all over again. And that's why, after Noah lands, does anyone remember what the first thing the Torah says that he did?
3: Planted a vineyard. He planted
0: a vineyard, and he got drunk, and disaster. So everyone asks, why is that the first thing that he does? So the Zohar answers, according to the opinion that the the tree of knowledge of good and evil was a grapevine So the first thing that Noah does is I, I, I better get a, I want to get it right this time right from the beginning. Let's go back to what uh, Adam and Eve did and this, let's, let's start off on the right foot here but he ends up right maybe in a worse position than Adam and Eve did right? He blew it maybe even bigger. So there's different times in history where, uh, again, with retrospect, depending on what eyes you look through, there's attempts, like after World War I was the creation of the League of Nations. This, this was an idea that had never happened before that all the nations of the world were gonna get together and try to work out their problems. It was, it was a a revolutionary idea, and its potential was phenomenal. Okay, it didn't work out so much, but it was an attempt, like a whole new, a new beginning, right? The Berlin Wall comes down. there There are moments. The moments. As history is accelerating, the truth is there are more and more of these huge moments in less and less time. That's one of the secrets of history at, at, at the juncture that we are now. So now we look at the kavanas here, we look at these intentions, and like I said, not just summarizing history not just, let's say, looking for God's hand in history, but there was a kavana like, let's fix it. Mm-hmm. Let's either fix it, or take the moment and and run with it.
1: It's just then how the back, and Abihu get in here. Very good.
0: Okay. Very good. So, so that brings us to what we mentioned in the beginning, That this is the day that Nadam and Avio died. So, this is a very important understanding to what they possibly had in mind when they took the Ketorah offering, they were not commanded, and they went into the Holy of Holies. This is not the only way to understand what they did. But it's certainly a, a a legitimate way. That put it this way, everyone agrees that what not even Avihu were doing, even though the Gemara says maybe they drank and they were drunk, and maybe they was they were you know too full of their own ego. And, but that's just a, that's a, a more of a superficial understanding all of the deeper explanations is trying to understand what were they trying to accomplish in other words that they were in a sense willing to give their life for it and whether they were right or wrong whether they could have fixed or couldn't have fixed that's really not the issue now we're just trying to understand what was their kavana. So there is, in the Zohar, there's a connection between the opinion that they were drunk when they went in. It's connected to the vineyard of Noach, which is connected to the eighth Sadat Tovara, the Tree of Knowledge of Good and Evil,
3: so, is there any connection to like the fact that anything holy for Jewish practice today is connected to Kiddush?
0: Very much. Very that we trying
3: to continually do right.
0: tikkun. Okay, so that's a very, very good connection. Why, of all things, should we sanctify the Shabbos and, and holidays with wine? We just mentioned that Nadav and Avihu possibly tripped up over it. Noah certainly tripped up over it. According to one of the opinions, that's what the Eitzadat Tovara was. So you would think anything but wine for <laughs> Kiddush. Anything but. But that's very connected to what we've already learned about Nadav and Avihu. You would think that since they went into the Holy of Holies with katorat, with incense, that that would be the last thing that we would want part of the Yom Kippur service, which is the holiest day of the year. But what do we see? In parshat Achrei maut it begins after the death of the two sons of Aram. And then it gives over all the laws of Yom Kippur. And the pinnacle of the service is the Kohen Gadol goes in with the fire pan and the incense into the Holy of Holies. So you would say the same thing. I would think anything but that. That would be the last thing I would think. But it's Dafka. It's Dafka. And this could also be one of the secrets of the very, very surprising construction of the, of the Aaron having two golden kruvim above the Aaron. It says that when Titus went into the Holy of Holies, he couldn't believe his eyes. He had heard that, that the Jewish people were a monothe- monotheistic religion. And Sanua. Right? And Sanua and everything. And he goes in, and there's two what appeared to him, like two golden idols in a love embrace, in the Holy of Holies. He was mind blown. So again, you would think that would be the last thing that you would think, was, and especially anything gold. These are the golden. Calf. In fact, we're even told that Aaron, when he goes in to the Holy of Holies, he has to take all of his gold off. He only goes in in white garments. Why? Because there's a, there's a hint to the golden calf and gold. So again, you would think, but all of these paradoxes are all leaning towards the same thing. Is connected to what we learned on Shavuos. The We were learning about why is it that the, the holy spark of Mashiach has to be revealed through the strangest circumstances. Totally paradoxical. All of these things are connected. All the things are connected. So in other words... Like the Balshemtov said that if you want to pull someone up out of the, 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 the mud, sometimes you have to have to go down and help them and you end up getting muddy. So it's the same thing with tikkuni. Sometimes when you want to make a fixing, a rectification, it's not always so sanitary. In fact, in fact, Rambam says, what's the true sign of chuva? Same situation. Yeah, you find yourself in the same situation. is even more explicit. But you find yourself in the same situation, but this time, right? You're you're not tempted. This time, you don't fall into the same trap. Whatever whatever it is. And so, so that's the sign of tshuva. So the same thing with when you're trying to rectify something is. See, there's two levels. A, a, an alcoholic, there's one level of rectifying the situation. I'm never having another drink again. And I'm never putting myself in a situation that I'm even tempted. Therefore, I'm not going to bars, I'm not going to parties. I, I, not, I can't socialize. Because if, I, if I'm in the proximity of the alcohol, I, I'm not that strong. I'm strong enough to say no. But now when it's right in front of me, okay, that's a pretty high level of, of fixing. But it's obvious that the higher level of fixing is, I can even I go to a Fabrangan, and everyone is drinking and having a good time, but I'm not tempted anymore. because I just know, I know better. For myself. I don't judge anyone else, but for myself, I can't but I'm not even tempted. I'm not sitting there the whole time with my, my stomach in knots and in in a moral dilemma. Should I? Shouldn't I? Should I? Shouldn't I? No. That's finished with. So all of these this is just to answer the idea of wine. So Dafka that that agency that could get us in a lot of trouble. But we know that's the same agency that can lead to holiness. nichnas yayin yoseid sod. There is a holy aspect of, of wine. There is a holy aspect of a l'chaim. Yes, what do you want to say?
3: Uh, when you were describing that, you know, that Mashiach comes from such an unlikely place, from the lowest people from Moab, and that's dafka. What was needed it was making me think of shatness, like shatness, forbidden mixtures. But dafka for the Kongadol, gadol, his clothing was shatness. Right. Yeah. This forbidden mixture in a certain particular circumstance at a particular time. It's exactly what's needed.
0: Right. Excellent. Um, so that's example, what I was thinking yeah. when you were
2: describing. Excellent example. What? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That that is the that's the way of the world almost anything in the world could drive you down to the lowest depths or raise you up to the highest heights? The Baal Shem spoke specifically about money. He said that money, mammon, is the same gematria as sulam, ladder. He said, why? Because it can take you to the very lowest place Bring out the worst in people, or it can take you to the top of the ladder. It can it, it can be an opportunity for phenomenal um, uh, opportunity, privilege to give you know to give tzedakah and and help different causes. So let's let's go back to where we began, which at this point will seem much more mundane. But uh, I just want to repeat this idea, not everyone was here, is we started with the idea that there's all of this repetition here, and that we can learn from this. In fact, uh, I believe believe if you look on our website, you will find all of this written up, or not a good part of what what we've said. Website. Uh, www.thetrugmans.com. On this partial, go to the, the the partial link. So I sent this out, and someone wrote back to me, saying that he um, he respectfully disagrees, and he's he was under the intention uh, impression that all of them had the same kavana and i wrote back why and which sources that i said what i said but in a, in the most practical way and this is such an important teaching because every, it says in the mishnah it says in the mission that anyone who makes their tefillah keva, it's not called tefillah. What does keva mean? Keva means some, yeah, something fixed, something by habit, something that is continual, but I don't really think about it. It's just, yeah, by rote, by, by, um, by force of habit. And so this is our challenge, when we say Shemona Esrei, say the Shema every day, say Pesuki de Zimra, say Modani Lefanecha, all of these things, is we have to make a conscious effort to invest new Kavana on a daily level. Now we have to understand that these prayers were compiled and written by the Anshay Knesset Gadolah. Sukhi Dezim is mostly from Psalms. But a good part of our prayers, uh, and of course the Shema is in the Torah, that's I say compiled and wrote. It's a, it's a combination. But I learned this from Ruff Ginsburg, we have to understand that there were many prophets who were part of the Anshayi Knesset the Men of the Great Assembly. And the prayers were put together with Ruach HaKodesh, just like the Psalms were written with Ruach HaKodesh, Divine Inspiration. And one of the definitions of Divine Inspiration is is that the words that come through the particular person have a quality that it's, it's what's called the little that holds a lot. <laughs> the little that holds a lot, and so therefore, someone could come a thousand years later, two thousand years later, three thousand years later, read into verses from from David HaMelech all kinds of things. So then you ask, well, is that what David and Malik really meant? We don't really know. But if it's being read in by a holy person, and it's not contradicting halacha, and it's like in the ballpark, so we say that, that that's the def- definition of Ruach Kodesh. that... It, the person's not necessarily aware of the full import of their words that's what gives it the quality of ruach kodesh that's why we can look into them and see, wow i uh, never saw this before see a whole new understanding whole new understanding so that's how we that's how we have to see our, the prayers we have to see them as divine channels, and and not feel totally boxed in by them. Realize that they're they they channels through which we can connect to ever new insight. This is very very important because people have a lot of people have big problems with. Um, I won't say going through the motions of prayer a lot of people have big problems with getting the most out of prayer
1: mm-hmm.
0: and we have to realize this that the, the, as much as we put in that's what we're going to get out of it if we get up in the morning and we're full of enthusiasm we say mo'dani then those words become a channel for potent energy. But if we just knock them off from rote, then they're they're kind of dead. Everyone knows the 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 expression: prayer without kavana is like a body without a soul. Where's that from? Can't bring you the exact source, but it's it's widely quoted.
1: It seems though so that, to me at least, that um, for the depth of the prayers, the, the depth of the prayers considered. We'll it's so hard for me personally that there's so many words there, and I've heard this, many people yeah. say the same thing. How do we deal with that? If we really want to deal with, you know, so much kavana for such long prayers, in a way, it I, makes it harder, and it, it almost uh, requires people to start off at a really high
0: level. I, this is definitely a major problem. How to get through so many words, especially for just learning Hebrew and and learning to translate and Try to keep up. It's a major challenge. It's a major challenge. But the advice that is given by many is, first of all, it's instructional to to learn certain basic halachas as to what is the, what are the essential parts of prayer. I mean, they're all essential, but if you have a limited amount of time. And you can't get through all of the prayers, and like, there is an order. There is an order of what you should say first, second, third, but in general, if someone is not able to handle all of the prayers, then it's much better to say less and mean more. It's much better to say less and put your heart and soul into what you are saying and of course work at it to like you know stretch your your prayer muscles that you're able to uh do more. Uh, Rabbi Nachman I didn't give this Torah over on on, on night, but it was one of the things I prepared. He 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 has uh Torah sixty five Lukuti Maran is all about uh, Boaz and Ruth. It's based on something that Boaz says to Ruth, but he gets into a whole incredible idea about the Bala Sadat, Master of the Field, and he gets into prayer, and, and he and he and he talks about the reality, which seems hard for us to grasp, of keeping your kavana from the first letter to the last letter of, of prayer and that each letter you say is like, like picking some fragrant herbs and flowers and you're creating this you know beautiful bouquet but if you lose your, your kavana it's kind of like in a sense the feel goes poof and it's not there there's this, there's this idea and for most of us it means to get through one prayer right, or one of the Psalms or the Shema f- from the first letter to the last letter I think that's a great start but it, sh- it should be something that we should all try and we'll see how hard it is how hard it is just to go through ashrei and actually look at each word, think about each word, and not think about anything else. See, this is the definition of meditation. That's why, in the Kabbalistic tradition, meditation and prayer, in many instances, are, are synonymous. Because to really prayer to really pray there can be no extraneous thoughts like, like like in meditation you can't really meditate if you're thinking about even two things at once you have to be whatever the meditation is whatever the, the structure or the um, framework of the meditation, you have to be 100% in it for it to work, if not like I said, the, poof it's like gone
3: so how far can you take the analogy of Baal Sedeh, because the Baal of a Sede has to leave Peya, he has to leave Leket and he himself is not even doing the the reaping he's got workers who are his agents
0: not in every field <laughs> I was thinking about today as I was cutting down all the weeds in my yard. I was like, "Why am I not just paying someone else to do this?" <laughs> right? Some people do the work themselves, right? Even when it's hard. But that—that's that, aside. Um I, I don't really know what to answer you, I and mean, that's—that's a good—that's a good, that's a good uh, question. But you look at the Torah. Okay. Because I just got a monology
3: the, mm-hmm. the Balsade. I was trying to follow the way you were describing it.
2: And I understood it to some degree. <coughs> I'll ask a question while you catch your breath and give me a little time. So um you're you're saying that um uh, without <coughs> kavana isn't tefillah. Right, like you said, it's in the Gemara, something. Like that, right? It's like a body without a soul. No, but there was another thing you said that's something like. Um,
0: something, oh, if if you if your tefila is keva,
2: it's keva. Oh,
0: like if it's. Uh, it's not. Routine, it's a Mishnah.
2: If it's routine, then it's not saying? Yeah, you say? it's,
0: not, it's not called tefillah.
2: So just out of curiosity, I'm I'm probably taking this way too far, and I don't know what I'm talking about. But like, would that be taking God's name in vain, since you're like saying these these words with saying the name of God, in and, sense. Then, and then it's not tefillah, Like, it's a real problem. In the yeah.
0: Oh, that's that's intense. Yeah, yeah. Sounds. They bring the analogy that because all of us get lost in in the Shmon Esera, and so they say Halavai. And, and, and you have a question. You have a question about what I'm going to say, but Halavai, we should have as much fear. Or. Um, respect for God as we do an earthly king so you say what, what, what kind of statement is that but the truth is the truth is if any anyone any one of us had an audience with President Bush or or a prime minister or a secretary of state well you know we all think we're all right well we would we would get a little like how do I look, and what do I say, and rehearse it twenty times, and we would we would be a little bit like, and not just a little bit, we would probably be a lot like nervous to say the wrong thing, or you know, like sometimes you go into a to get a bracha from a rabbi, and you know you only have like one minute because there's a line like out the door, you have one minute, so it's like how am I going to use this minute? Like, what am I going to say? Like, I may never see this Rebbe again. Maybe he can open all the gates in heaven. Like, so 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 this, I don't remember who said it, but said that halavai, right? We would stand in Shimon Ezra with the same awe as we would if we were standing before an, an, an earthly king or leader. I mean, I guess that sounds strange, when you Zusha's think
3: about it, wasn't Zosha's bracha to the students? Don't remember. Could be. I thought it
0: should actually. be
1: like Moshe, not like Moshe Rabbeinu. You should be like yourself.
0: Right. That, that was. No, but also yeah.
2: he gave his sense of particular bracha. Too. It could be Moshe.
0: It could be. As a stone, you
2: should have the fear. Of I don't know. I don't know Tanya. That goes into it, like as far as like, being of like having that same fear. Like when you're walking around, like you should be aware. Like just like we're aware of how. People around us actually notice us. We should realize that God notices us all the time. Also, we should translate. Out. It's a little different. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, so we should have the bracha. Two brachas. First bracha is we should have have the vision to fix our lives, just like these kavanas. We should be able to fix what we have to fix, even if it goes back to Adam. And according to the Riza, we all go back to Adam, actually quite literally through Gilgal. So th- this idea of having to go back to the very beginning is really true for all of us. But each one of us has to dig deep inside, and hopefully get inspiration from this, that that we can fix certain things. Even though we brought all these examples of they try to fix it and they didn't. But there (laughs) there are things that are fixed. We can fix things. Rabbi Nachman said, if you believe you can break it, believe you can fix it. If you can break it, you can fix it. The second bracha is that we connect to this divine inspiration that's available at a daily level and we just don't fall into the trap of of rote observance we have to work at it but it, it makes all the difference in the world because when we're doing things by rote we don't feel good we don't feel good about ourselves we don't feel It doesn't feel good. But to do it differently, we have to to work at it. So I give us all the bracha that we have, the koach, to really work at it and have new inspiration every day.